0: Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. So today on Discovered Wordsmith, I want to welcome Gary, who has written a great book we're going to talk about called Destination North Pole. Gary, how are you doing today?
1: Doing fantastic. Thanks for calling.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a great talk. I can't wait to hear about this book. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about who you are and some of the things you like to do outside of writing. I see you have a lot of great books, so obviously, uh... I,
1: I yes, I do. I like to read. Obviously, that's one of them. But I, my background is agri- agriculture. But the first, I'll call it seven years of my life, besides going to school, I was uh, military intelligence. Did things like. Copy foreign signals and brief and debrief pilots. So I think that gave me a lot of background to being more critical as what you hear, what you what you learn, what maybe what you absorb. But I may mean, have been living in agriculture. My patents are in engineering and biomass processing and things like that. Wow, that's pretty cool. So
0: why did you wanna start writing?
1: Ooh, I, I think I've been writing all the time. I, I my first job outside of military was actually working in the South Dakota Department of Agriculture. And I, we didn't have an organizational directory of all the organizations we were working with, 50, 100, whatever it was. And so I started organizing that. So that became my first directory. Then I did a second edition. And another thing, we were supposed to be promoting South Dakota products, but we never had a list of products or producers. And we were involved in exporting and we didn't have the list for exporters. So I created an agricultural export directory also. So that was my first two directories, which helped in the organization. As any writer knows, you got to be organized.
0: The writing started off with work, doing things for work.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So how did that lead to you wanting to write your book?
1: The Destination North Pole 5,000 kilometers by bicycle is actually my seventh book, but it's my first, it's my first travel log. Nice. Okay. And so I turned 65 on a book tour in my relating to ancient series. And that was a a several year process. And on the book tour, I turned 65 and I go, wow, if I'm ever going to do my long distance bicycle ride, it's probably time to start pedaling. And so I asked my wife if she would want to go along with me to North Pole, Alaska. That's where my niece and nephew and grandniece and nephews lived. And she said she would rather drive. And so I took off on May 20th and bicycled. I I got there. I thought it was going to take me two months. And I got there in 40 days. Wow. Nice. So it's 75 miles a day, average for 40 days. Okay. So the book
0: is your adventures on the trip.
1: A year later, COVID shut everything down. So I couldn't even get into Canada if I wanted to that year. And so we rented a cabin up in Black Hills of South Dakota, where we're South Dakota residents, rented a cabin up there. And I go, wow, we're going to be locked out. I'm going to write a book about traveling up there. And so I, every day was an adventure, hundreds of black bears and grizzlies and, wood bison and elk, wolves, everything that could kill you. And so I I made it up there and I didn't die. And I figured i will write about
0: it. That could have been a second subtitle. And I didn't die.
1: Yeah, that could have been it. Yeah.
0: So did you have any animals or anything like chase you? Because you always see videos like that.
1: Yes. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. I. Yes. There's so much. People worried about me getting hit by vehicles, but I had nice wide shoulders, especially in Canada, which was two thirds of my trip. And especially in the Yukon, big wide shoulders, a a car could be on the shoulder and still be off the, off the driving area. But as you get up, especially in the Yukon, the the bush, they call it gets fairly close to the roads because they don't get it cut every year. And so you can have bears and (laughs) wood bison and they're 25% bigger than the plains bison than I'm used to And the bulls turn around and face you. And luckily my front brakes squeaked one time. And I was rolling fast enough that I scared them. And I had a crane draft me, a, a sandhill crane was, I looked over and I'm eyeball to eyeball with the crane and it drafts me and lands in the ditch. And, I, and then it gets in the bush and starts squawking at me. And I sit there and eat my peanut butter sandwich. And so these are the kind of stories that I, I talk about in the book. Nice.
0: Nice. So your wife drove, did she mirror you? So you met up with her or did she just go up and wait for you to get up there?
1: Actually, I took off. Me and the bike weighed 285 pounds. When I left, I was fully loaded with all my gear, extra tires, extra tubes, extra food, clothing, whatever. And then she caught up with me in Western Saskatchewan. And from there on, it it would be harder and harder to find nightly lodging. I never camped once. So I I biked, and that's why I left on May 20th, longest day of the year, June 20th. It was going to take two months. At least when I got to the Yukon, there was light. And... uh, if I had a bike at midnight, I could still bike in the light. And so I biked until she found a clean bed. Usually she'd catch up with me, oh, say 11 o'clock in the morning or something like that, see if I needed anything, refill my water bottles because I carry about a gallon of water with me. And then uh, she would go ahead and, and find lodging. We had a general plan of where we were going to go. And uh, luckily, by leaving that time of the year, there's lodging. Whether it's work camps or Airbnbs or bed and breakfast, there's usually some kind of lodging every 100 miles or so.
0: Nice. And you said you wrote some other books. They all sound, were they all nonfiction like this? Yes. Or-
1: yes. They're all nonfiction besides uh, directories. You probably see a couple up on top uh, relating to ancient culture, relating to ancient learning. They are, I'll call it heavier books, but we've traveled around the world since we retired 10 years ago. And, uh, Every country talked about how culture is changing, how learning is changing. And so I tried to answer that question why is culture changing? So that's actually written as a mystery. So 20 of the 22 chapters start as riddles, and you try to figure out, as I did, what's changing culture and learning and uh, using the past. I like history. And so looking at the past, how does the past influence and how will learning change in the 21st century? So it's learning into the 21st century.
0: Oh, I think that's great because I've Doing a talk kind of the same vein where it's targeted to middle school parents, parents of middle school kids, and Mm. basically helping them open their eyes to the other possibilities kids have that they can actually start looking into in middle school as skills and careers for something to do eight, 10 years later, preparing for it. And that's
1: that's fantastic. It's, that's fantastic thank you Stephen, for doing that it's my my marketing title the title is relating to ancient learning but the marketing title is learning as it influences the 21st century and so it it sounds like right in line with some of the things you're doing
0: yeah i think that's great so that the biking one sounds a little different do you think you would have written it if covid hadn't hit
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. My, my goal originally was I just wanted to bike out there. It's 3,000 miles. And so I had no idea. I was 65 years old. I had a 10-year-old bike. People told me to a road bike or a mountain bike or a better bike, an e-bike, whatever. And I go, I know this bike. I'll just try it. And I didn't know if I was going to make it. I went every day and uh, I started putting on more miles every day because uh, the distance was farther between lodging. And I was in better shape as I got in two weeks into it, 10 days, whatever. And I was starting to do 100 miles a day. My longest day was actually in Saskatchewan of 166 miles. And so I did a daily blog because people started asking me about where you're at. Are you going to make it? And so that was, the, that was it. I, I made it and I had the blog. And then I go, I'm not going to, I'm not one to sit around and I, yeah, I like to hike. My wife likes to hike, likes to bike. But during COVID, you got to do something about thinking. And I thought, wow, what a good opportunity when I can't interact with uh, socially, let's write something that people can sit in their armchair and enjoy a trip without going anywhere.
0: And so the plan wasn't originally to write a book, but you took an opportunity, the advantage of what you did to get a book written. Kind of pointing that out for other authors listening, because sometimes I think people miss opportunities.
1: Oh, we all do. We all do. I am an international researcher, so I, I've done a lot of my agronomic research in Turkey. And my last paper was on Mongolia. And I, I think I, I like to collect data. And so on my trip guide to the North Pole, I got a spreadsheet where I wrote down the time I started, the time I got there, how many miles, what the elevation, how many calories I burned, what my speed. And that became the little index or the travel guide, the first 10 lines of each chapter. And so that was data. And so I used the data. Oh, what happened that day is, was in my blog, my daily blog. And so it just, I developed the story. So like three or four, five, six pages each day was a story of the bear that didn't turn around and grab me or the dog that, a dog wolf cross that scared, me. it's in the book. I don't even like to talk about it because it's things that can kill you. And so people do follow the travel guide. They want to, they want to read the book and evaluate the risk before they do it.
0: Got it. So you mentioned also that you have worked with other countries and cultures. So going from America into Canada and driving, did you notice any culture differences or did people treat you differently because you're biking across (laughs) large swaths of country?
1: It was uh, Canadians are so fun. We often spend the winters in Mexico and the village that we, Mexican farming and fishing village that we stay in is probably 90% Canadians wintering down there. So I've been exposed to Canadians. And so we ended up stopping one night at, at a farm that uh, they hosted us. We had met them in Mexico. Another place I ended up, I took two days off the whole time. So it's actually 42 days. So two days off. And uh, one couple invited us to to stay at their place and happy to be raining, raining that day. And I go, well, what a better chance to get to to visit and know them better. And I got to go out in the woods with them. And it was really cool. Nice. So people
0: reading the book, what type of feedback have they been giving you?
1: All really good. I I have all five stars like on Amazon or whatever, except one was a four star. And and so I knew the guy. And so I, I say, you know what? I really want to know what was wrong, as all authors do. They want to know what, what you didn't think was up to par. And the guy said, on your blog, you had a picture every day. And, and in the book, you don't have as many pictures. <laughs> I go, okay. Hey, that's fair, I guess. It is. It is. And an ebook, what a lot of people don't realize is you are allowed something like 10, 10 sketches, figures, diagrams, whatever. And so you end up writing, I think, and and shrinking those things out as you're writing to try to allow both an ebook, paperback and hardback, which I have.
0: Yeah. And you also, the more pictures, it's more print and they charge you more. So
1: that's true. Uh, Printing a few extra pages, uh, if a photo or a diagram adds to it, definitely, I'd recommend definitely authors include it. But if it adds... Limited value, and you're trying to convert it or even doing solely as an ebook, you can probably eliminate a lot of them.
0: Yeah, I agree. Okay. So, this is traditionally published. Are all your books traditionally or independently published as opposed
1: to also also published? published.
0: Yeah. Did you look into any, try traditionally published, or you just wanted to? A little bit
1: by relating to ancient series books are most complex books that I've written. I did hire a book producer, uh, professional proofreaders, professional editors. Uh, The best thing I did is hired a professional indexer, which I was at a book fair this weekend. And the lady asked me about Morse code because uh, that's something that I did or brother did. And I go, let me check the index uh, of learning. And I go through, yeah, here's about eight references or something like that to Morse code. So I guess that you can it's probably the best index book that I've come across. Hire a professional indexer is one of my recommendations if you're into that kind of fairly heavy nonfiction.
0: Wow, I never heard of professional indexer as a service. So there's something new.
1: It is, it, and they're well worth it. And if somebody's writing a textbook, especially uh, indexing is the book has to be completed before you even start the indexing process because your page numbers are going to change. And so you have to absolutely have it done. All of the proofing and everything is done set. And then you go into the indexing process and, and the more thorough you do it. I, in my opinion, and I use indexes, it, it makes the book better.
0: Yeah. I can see that. I just got a flat tire this morning and I was looking up where the okay. little lever is to get the tire dropped. and I had to look that up in the index. Because I've never done it on this car before. And it was like, oh, okay, I see it now.
1: It, it, it's critical for, and thank you for offering this service to other authors. And with my patents, you also have to think through a lot of minute detail. And so you just can't assume that somebody knows it. If they assume, like on a patent, if you assume they know it, it's not patentable. So mm-hmm. you have to explain things so other people can find or repeat or do it.
0: And like you said, with Morse code, you looked it up and there were several references. And I know a lot of times in the books, it may not be a section on Morse code, but it could be related to something else, which that. So you got to get those types of tra- traversals through the book.
1: Great. Yes.
0: Nice. Okay. So this is an, a weird question for this Viking okay. book, but okay. would you see this if there was a, a, an interest as a movie or a TV show?
1: Actually, it would fit both because if it was a TV show, you probably wouldn't want to have a half hour of shrinking 3,000 miles because there's, I'll put it this way. My grandnephew was in videography school and when we while well, we were on this trip. And, and so when we returned, he asked for all of my wife and my video clips of the senior animals, people interactions, things like that. And he shrunk it down the whole trip into nine and a half minutes. And so you have two second clips of a bison, three seconds of a bear. Just, he did a fantastic job. So that's on YouTube, by the way, the name of the book on Destination North Pole, 5,000 kilometers by bicycles on YouTube. And so if you're going to do a movie, you would actually want to make it into, I think, like a 65-year-old retired guy. It wasn't a struggle. I hadn't been on my bike in eight months. So it's not like I can't do it. You just have to evaluate the risks and start pedaling. So that's a story. I think it would be an interesting movie, but as a as a TV show, if you wanted to run a season or two, there's plenty of material from here to the Arctic Circle.
0: Yeah, I know. I could see it a couple different ways. You could have it as like a reality show with oh, cameras and every day. Good point. 75 yeah. Miles. yeah, good you know?
1: yeah. Because there's, and uh, a lot of people that, that drive like, the though they call it Alaska Highway, was about half the trip. And a lot of people have made that trip and said, Yeah, I didn't see that many animals. No, I said, maybe seen one bison. I go, Geez, I seen hundreds. And when do, you know, people drive from nine o'clock in the morning until five at night, you're not going to see the animals. It's too hot. This time, that time of the year, bears are out grazing dandelions until about nine, nine thirty in the morning. The wood bison are eating grass well by 9 30 shoot there in the bush getting shade. yeah
0: people do that at the zoo all the time they're like it's july 20th and it's 120 degrees why aren't the animals doing anything yeah where's like,
1: the polar bears yeah
0: when you've got a fur coat on do you feel like moving around when it's 120 <laughs> right. i'm like geez I'm right.
1: people <laughs> yeah good point zoo is a good analogy
0: yeah nice but i can also see it fictionalized where it's a like one a uh, discovery coming of age type story or something like that with a bike trip and using based on true events almost or something like that i could see it going different ways
1: most people do distance biking when they're younger and a lot of them are there's trips, there's bike trips across the u.s organized where you bike in a group i was sold and i didn't camp i didn't have my camping gear so you go unless i have a little bivy bag emergency thing strapped on the back with an emergency bot- water bottle but other than that, you have incentive to find a place to eat in a clean bed.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that felt good after a day of biking, especially uh, as the went on.
1: <laughs> without a doubt. And that's why I thank my wife all the time for being willing to stop and see me during the day a little bit, check on me, and then find a place to, to a lodge at night. And sometimes we had to cook because there's places where there's no restaurants. There's no quick fast food places. Even there's no uh, gas stations where you can pick up a bar. You just, you you find a work camp or a Airbnb or whatever off the side of the road and you bike to it.
0: Yeah. So Gary, let me ask you, uh, you get a lot of books and you like to read. What are some of your favorite books, some of your favorite authors? And do you read nonfiction or do you read both fiction and nonfiction?
1: I I primarily read nonfiction. I do read a fair amount of fiction, some poetry. Things like that. But yeah, a quote, uh, one of my favorite authors is, is probably Henry David Thoreau, like in the early 1800s. He died the year Civil War started. And he wrote about reality, his experience near Concord, Massachusetts. And, and so he lived in the woods. And so he really talked about what happened to him. So my favorite authors, as I go to book shows and book festivals and things like that, I tend to pick up books that are written. 50 to 200 pages written by people. My mother-in-law, she was in her eighties and she wrote a book about quest for water. She lived in semi-arid South Dakota and water was always a struggle, especially quality water. And as, as she aged, it it became important to her to explain how they, they got by with limited water and how the dams forced them off the river bottom and created a light for people to enjoy, and then finally, she had water piped to her house. It was like, wow! And so, uh, these are real stories. I, I just my last book I just finished was uh, Boeing Gypsies about the families that traveled for twenty some years in the six like fifties, sixties, traveling to missile silos and how they moved every sometimes every two weeks to a different state. And they had families, and they Boeing, the company Boeing, had put up lodging. Trailer houses basically for them, and so they would move in, move out. They do their work, and they'd be moving to a different site. And she told personal stories of people they they met and how they all socialized. and it, It's just wonderful, personal little stories. Them are great books to to read, I think. And they're again mostly paperbacks and seldom over two hundred pages, but they're real life stories. Nice. And I was just
0: talking to someone yesterday that does a program with young people who are in juvenile lockup and they get them to write their stories and then they do okay. a talent show. And he said, some of those stories are amazing.
1: Because it's real life to them. And that's why your work with the schools, even younger, sit down and write. I don't care if it's penciling if it's out on and wide space lines, but be able to explain what you think. I, I One of the quotes attributed to Henry David Thoreau is it's really vain to sit down and write if you haven't stood up and lived.
0: Nice. Yeah. I read uh, on Walden Pond in high school, yeah. mostly because the teacher said, here's a list of books that's on the list, but most you probably wouldn't enjoy them. So of course I had to find one of those to read.
1: <laughs> Walden Life in the Woods is a good book. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's real life. This is what happened to me and this is what I did.
0: It's definitely not an easy, quick read. There's a lot to it. It's very dense.
1: (laughs) It it is, but at the same time, for writers now, a lot of them are used to, I'll call it snippets. And it's hard to read snippets because the context, 10 or 20 years hence, is is hard to pick up. And so one of my advices to authors is, even if you're writing fiction, you can have a few snippets, but as you uh, get past a short conversation, then you need sentences to flow again because it makes it too difficult to just follow the train of thought and the, the personal interactions and things like that with snippets. And another thing when you're writing, especially nonfiction, as I mentioned on research papers, pure research, you'd have to explain yourself on patents, you have to explain yourself. So others can understand it. It's the same way, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you have to be able to have somebody understand what you're talking about.
0: I I think that's an interesting viewpoint because one of the things I do struggle with is I always put down on paper what I am thinking in my head. So it doesn't come across. And your practice with writing patents, I'm sure helped alleviate that in your
1: writing. It, it did, but it also makes you critically think about what is different because you can't patent something if it's not different. And so I have six patents and some of my inventions, like I made a wrist support bar for to support my wrists when I went bicycling. I was 25, 30 miles. I'd get a sore wrist. And so the day before I, I left on my bicycle trip, I went to the hardware store and, and made a wrist support bar that, that my wrists rest on. And I got patented because I'm tired of fighting patent attorneys, but It's very practical. And I, Saturday, a couple of days ago, I was at a signing and the guy said, you have a patent because I had my bike there. And I go, make it. I made a video, a YouTube video about it, how you can make your own for 25, 30 bucks. And you don't have to necessarily write a patent, but you have to think through something real practical and be able to explain it. And I tell about it in the book, for example, so if they want to buy my book, they can see how a risk support bar works, alleviates our risks. Do you have a picture of that? I do. Good. And uh, they can look at the YouTube video and see four minutes of it
0: there. Nice. And I like that using your blog, your YouTube video. So it all goes together. So it's a a multimedia type of thing almost. And the guy that said there's not enough pictures in the book. That's one of the great things in the world. If you saw it on the blog and you liked it on the blog, you can still look at the blog.
1: True. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I made my living in agriculture, and I, two of my books were on this crop millet. It's a it's an ancient grain, but not many people know about it. And what I did last year, yes, I still sell that book, and I have it in forty whatever countries. It's the book if you're going to produce that crop. And so, what I did last year is towards harvest, I went out to the fields and did short videos, maybe four or five minute videos on how to determine a crop if it's ready for harvest. Because you can write it down, but sometimes if you actually see the seed head and can squeeze the head in your hand and it shells out, you can visualize in your own field a little bit better. So I'm using multimedia now from books that are 30 years old.
0: Nice, nice. And you've mentioned your blog and YouTube. Oh, do you have a website or what's your blog web address?
1: I, I, I I don't do a daily blog. I did a blog for uh, Destination North Pole, meaning my bicycle ride. But, and they can go to my website, to ancients.com. That's my series of books relating to ancients, uh, like ancient, <laughs> to ancients.com. And on there, I have my, my patents, my books. You can order my books, you can get links to the YouTube videos, things like that.
0: Nice. Okay. I'll make sure and put that in the show notes too. Thank you. Uh, for- all right. So before we move on to some author stuff for your book, if someone said at a fair or a book signing, Gary, why should I buy your book and read it? What would you tell them?
1: If you, if you want a travel adventure and you, you're thinking about doing this kind of thing, you need a guide. What are the things you can look at? Go to the index and the index is everything I pack. But most people aren't that way. You talk about it, but I'm, the lady says, I'm 60. She said Saturday morning, I'm 60 and I'm not about doing it. I go, I was 65 when I took off. So yeah, you can do it. Just, you don't have to go 75 miles a day on average. Do 20 miles a day, go to the next town and buy a pizza and come back the next day. Just do it. You don't have to make it long distances. It's just one of those practical things that you can sit in your armchair like I had an 80 some year old lady buy my book. And a few weeks later, she comes back and sees. I see her at a picnic, actually. And she goes, I love your book. I've never been on a bike in my life. That was a good book. You explain the details well enough, you connect with your readers.
0: I like that. Yes, absolutely. agree with that. Great. Gary, thanks for sharing the book. We'll make sure and have You're the welcome. show notes and links to it for everyone listening interested. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe, sometime in the near future, it might be you.